Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Have you checked the children? children. I want to play a game. The box. You opened it. We came. This is the All American Spook Show. Hello and welcome to another edition of the All American Spook Show Horror Podcast. I'm Josh and I'm joined here with Professor Smoke. Uh, Donnie's a little under the weather this week, so he's not going to be here, and Will is on assignment, so you just got the two of us this week, but this is one of those, we're doing a spook show spotlight on the on uh, on the great life and career of horror icon George A. Romero, so this is one of those episodes where we don't necessarily need all four of us here, so it, you know, it, it worked out, but we're going to be going through the, uh, the, the career and, uh, you know, talk a little bit about the life of George Romero, you know, who unfortunately passed back in 2017. So already that's been, what, uh, five years, which is crazy to me. Like, it, it, I remember it kind of happened unexpectedly, right? It kind of happened all of a sudden when he passed away. Yeah, it was uh, not, not too long before that that I got to meet Romero at a bad monster party in Charlotte. Was that the first time you got to meet him at that? Or? Well, unfortunately, it, it was the only time. Yeah, that yeah. was 2016 Mad Monster Party. That was the only time I'd ever actually got to meet Romero. Yeah, it was unfortunate. Like, I never really got to, like, uh, officially meet him, although I was in the same place at the same time once. And we've talked about this before because, like, it was back when you used to live here in uh, in Charlotte. Um, he was here. Yeah. It was, like, Charlotte Film Society or something like that. I can't remember exactly what the, the, the occasion was, but basically they... They had uh, George Romero here in Charlotte, and they screened Dawn of the Dead and The Crazies, and he was in attendance. You know, like they did like a Q&A or something. And uh, when we were there, because I, I, I was there with uh, Will, he was with me as well, and uh, you know, uh, my future wife was there and maybe a couple other people, but uh, he actually had to leave, like during you know the, the screening because it was when he went to go film one of his last couple movies. I can't remember whether it was uh, when he was uh, uh, filming Diary of, the De- Diary of the Dead or Survival of the Dead. It was one or the other. And, like, basically, like, yeah, they were going to go start production. So, like, he had to leave halfway through to go start production on it. So it was one or the other because it was around that time period. So that's the only time I ever got to be around him, although I didn't get to meet him personally or get his autograph or anything like that. That was still pretty cool. So at least I... At least I had that, right? But um, cool, cool, cool dude, you know, from what I remember. Very nice guy. Yeah, I think I, was, I, think I had, do uh, you remember, you recall what year that was? Because I think that might have been the year that I had just moved from Charlotte. Of course, that would happen. <laughs> Not off the top of my head, but it had to have been sometime around, somewhere between 2007 and nine. I know I left in 2009. So it was, so yeah, maybe it, it was been. right around 09 then, so, something like that. Um, I think I remember y'all talking about it. There's something going on with it, but I, I feel pretty certain that if I'd still lived there, I would have been there for it. Yeah, yeah. So I must have been, that must have been here. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure you would have, you probably would have went with us, so who knows. But, yeah. but yeah, yeah, that was, that was a fun time, and that was cool. And on top of that, too, not only because Romero was there, 
it was a group of, you know, like we've always say with these kind of things, like-minded individuals, so to speak. So it was cool to watch. Oh, the, yeah. It was cool to watch a screening of the the crazies and Dawn of the Dead with that group of people with Romero around and everything. So that was really cool. Just the whole thing was really cool. But before we dive into uh, uh, Romero's life and career, I'll go ahead and throw out the usual information. You can contact us at uh, through email by sending us one at allamericanspookshow at gmail dot com. You know, you can find us on all the usual social platforms: Twitter, Facebook, all the all the rest. Uh, on Twitter, we're at AA Spook Show. Uh, don't forget our T Public page where you can get logoed merchandise and other cool designs that we have there. Uh, our, on our over on our YouTube page every Wednesday night live at 9 p.m. East, we do Deadline Horror News where we go through the latest horror headlines. Uh, you want to go check out our YouTube channel for that and other things, so you don't want to miss any of that. And of course, we have our Patreon uh, page where we want you to become a patron. Patreon.com/slash/aaspookshow, where we have every Tuesday we have video minisodes uh, featuring the library, the professor. Uh, we have bonus podcasts every month, including like uh, uh, Crapster Piece Theater and uh, uh, Spook Show Rewind. Uh, the professor has written articles, all ki- kinds of cool stuff over on patreon.com slash Show, And the links to all these things are found in the show notes. You'll see a link tree link. You click on that and you should find the links to every one of these things, you know, listed top to bottom right there for your uh for your clicking pleasures. I guess we'll get, you know, with that, all that out of the way, we'll go ahead and dive into the life and career of George A. Romero. Now, he was born in the Bronx in New York City, February 4th, 1940. And he graduated uh, college at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. He went, you know, that's where he learned film and everything there. And he began his career shooting short films and commercials. And one of these things that he did in that time period uh, was a segment for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood uh, I guess this probably would have been in the you know sometime in the late 60s, early 70s, and it was about like Mr. Rogers going to get a tonsillectomy. So <laughs> that was one of the first, I guess you know, <laughs> quote unquote, big things he got his hands on back then. But he and nine of his friends formed Image 10 Productions, and that's the production company that went you know got in together and made Night of the Living Dead in 1968. And we talked a little bit about that last week, how basically like. I think it was him and these nine people basically threw in about $600 a piece. And so that gave them about $6,000. And then they quickly realized like, yeah, this ain't enough. So that, you know, they had to find other funding and everything. And then they were eventually able, were able to put it together. And um, the rest, as they say, is history. And we went through the whole thing about the copyright mishap and everything. So now that that, now that movie is one of the most uh, profitable, I would, I would argue is probably one of the more profitable uh, independent films ever made. Definitely one of the most influential independent films ever made. And horror, zombie, mm-hmm. however you want to phrase it. And pretty much barely made a penny off of it. Because now the movie, because of that, the movie's in the public domain. So that that means pretty much we could go get a copy of it and edit it to our pleasures. And nobody could say a thing to us about it. So <laughs> that's how messed up it is. And well, I've done that. <laughs> and yeah. We talked about it on the show. Well, I don't know if we talked about it on the show. We talked about it behind the scenes, so to speak. But... uh one very memorable one is that, and I'm not going to be able to say the whole title of this movie because it's ridiculously long, but Night of the Day of the Dawn of the Sun of the Ride of the Range of the Return. And I'm just going to stop there. <laughs> probably going a little bit further, I would only be halfway through the title of the movie. <laughs> but somebody basically just took it and sort of recut it somewhat, not really mainly plays straight through, yeah. and then dubbed it with their various voices. So you can do that to this movie, apparently. Or at least you could. I don't know about now. 
the title of that sounds like one of those Wayans Brothers movies, like Scream or or not Scream, but uh, the yeah. scary movie. The scary movie, you know, like <laughs> don't drink uh, your juice while being in the hood or whatever. Oh, the <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just this title that just keeps on going. Somewhat longer than your average giallo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like I said, go back to last week's uh, episode 101 for a little bit more information on Night of the Living Dead. But needless to say, uh, one of our favorites uh, altogether, one of our highest rated uh, consensus star ratings that we've ever given any horror movie that we've ever talked about. I'm pretty sure it was like number three on the list behind like Jaws and maybe Reanimator, I think, without having the list pulled up. Yeah. So, yeah. Needless to say, we all loved it, and we highly yeah. recommend you going to check it out. Oh, definitely. After Night of the Living Dead, uh, in 1971, he made a film called There's Always Vanilla, and it's the only romantic comedy that uh, Romero ever directed. And frankly, like he didn't deviate too far off the horror path much much more after that. And that one actually had uh, 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 Judith Ridley in it, who was, who, the, who was the girl that played Judy in Night of the Living Dead. She was actually the star of that movie. Do you recall ever sitting down and watching There's Always Vanilla? Well, I have I have it on VHS under the title The Affair. I think that was another retitling of it. Okay, okay yeah. Uh, yeah, we were talking about this in Library of the Professor segment, the last Library of the Professor segment, which most people, and some people listening to this won't, you know, be able to listen to if you're on Patreon, but that's a cue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, patreon.com slash a spook show. <laughs> but we're talking about modern VHS releases and uh, that the, uh, the affair uh, was re-released by SRS Cinema I believe it is a uh, distributor that distributes some you know horror movies a whole bunch of horror movies their own productions as well uh, but they they also redistribute get their hands on some of these older titles and they they did they put that one out and I think I don't even know if that movie ever even got technically a, a VHS release back in the day because I'd never seen it back then and I would have seeked that movie out just because knowing, even though it wasn't horror, I still would have wanted to watch it because it was Romero. If it did get released, I would imagine it was only because it was a George Romero movie. You know, like, I don't think it got very high marks. It, no, no, it definitely didn't. It, and I mean, it's 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 one of those movies where you can watch it knowing that it's a Romero film. You can see his editing style hmm. that he had and his way of putting a movie together and everything. You you can tell that it's. I mean, if you've seen a number of Romero films, you can kind of tell that that's that it's a Romero flick, despite it not being a horror movie. And, I mean, it's not, it's no great shakes, but, I mean, if you're a fan of Romero, it's definitely worth watching at least once. I'm sure it's got to be interesting just to see him try his hand at something other than horror, knowing that he started with Night of the Living Dead and then mostly did horror after that, for the most part, that, you know, one of those deviations could be interesting if nothing else. A case study in the man's career, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Then the next year, 1972, this is one that I actually... I've not seen There's Always Vanilla, but I have seen this one. Season of the Witch, uh, his return back to horror, and he actually wrote and directed that movie, so I'm sure you're a big fan of that one. Yeah, that one's had, and that one's had a few, well, as it had two different cuts, I think. I mean, I know I've only ever seen the VHS, mm -hmm. the, the Thorn Emmy VHS version. And I've never owned it on DVD, but I'm pretty certain. Mm -hmm. I want to say that there's a longer or different cut version of it. There may be. On the DVD. The one that I watched that wasn't wasn't too actually wasn't too long ago, and it was the uh, I guess the Arrow video release. Oh, okay. I'm not sure exactly yeah, when that was released, but that, that's the one that I watched not long ago. And last I checked, I believe that's still up on Tubi TV. You know, if you if you want to watch that version of it, it definitely has a feel of a young filmmaker. 
that movie. You know, like you can tell he's still feeling things out. And it, it, it feels like one of those weird, like, uh, I don't know what the style would be, like uh, almost like a fever dream kind of uh, student film type of deal yep. where <laughs> there's a bunch of random images and quick cuts and what the hell's going on? You don't know what's real and what's, you know, and, and what's not. And uh, But it's it's pretty yeah, cool, it, though. I don't know if I don't know if Zombie never mentioned it, but it, I don't know. I wonder if he had got any influence from Season of the Witch when he did, uh, what was his witch movie? Lords of Salem? Lords of Salem. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a little bit. I'm not saying that, you know. Nothing like blatantly, but some of that like type of yeah. editing and whatnot. Just, you'd have to think that there's sort of a, there's some influence there, no doubt. Atmosphere, I guess. You'd say. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to yeah, that's a good way to frame it. Then the next year, you know, he was at a pretty high, uh, cranking at a pretty high rate of uh, turnout here in the, in the throughout the seventies. But the next year, nineteen seventy three, another one of my favorites from Romero, The Crazies, that he wrote and directed. Once again, like I said earlier, yeah. I got to watch that one in a uh, you know a screening with Romero in the room, so that was awesome. Uh, but I'd seen that a time or two before, and maybe once since then, something like that. It has been a little while, but yeah, I love that one, and I, and I didn't uh, like the remake so much. Surprise, surprise. But um, some crickets. Yeah. Oh God, those crickets, <laughs> man. Like, it, if nothing else, like if, if the subject matter won't drive you crazy, the fucking cricket sounds will. <laughs> Incessant looping, looping of cricket. God, um, what do you call that? Sound, sound yeah, <laughs> audio in the background. Oh, and it was like even, and it brought. seemed like it was even worse <laughs> when I was in the theater watching it. Like I was like, "Fuck!" You know, it's like, it's like Romero was there, and he's like, "Hey, turn up the crickets." You know, <laughs> he's got he's got the crickets in a totally different channel. He can just, yeah. Yeah, move it. You know, he can just, just adjust. Boost the volume. <laughs> more crickets. Yeah, man, I know what this movie needs more crickets. But uh, yeah, still like another. Count. Another well-done uh, movie that was like, you know, it's still a horror, but it's not like, a, 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 it's not a zombie flick. It's more of like a, like a plague, like pandemic type of flick, right? But still, you know, you can see his style has now developed. You know, once you see this, you can see where he's going with things now for sure, you know. And you mentioned the uh, remake, but did, did you say you'd seen the remake before? I had, and I went and saw it at the theater, um, and it hadn't been long after I had watched it, you know, like Romero's. Not for the first time, but like I just watched Romero's. Maybe it was like in prep for that, you know. And boy, that was a big mistake. that was a big mistake. <laughs> I remember not liking it, and, and I doubt Tom has healed any wounds there. I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I once, but I don't remember. I, I'd have to go back and revisit yeah. it. To, I don't remember. To, I don't remember hating it. it I don't remember hating it. I just know. Oh. I just recall not liking it nearly as well as Romero's. You know, classic, oh. obviously. So, uh, but maybe that's one. That's that's one that we need to get to just to, you know, compare and contrast kind of thing. See if it's aged yeah, any, see if, see if it has aged any better. In 1974, well, actually in the same year of 73 and then in 74, he did, he started working like sports documentary stuff randomly. Um, and 19, throughout 1973 and 74, he produced and directed The Winners. It was a TV sports documentary series. It was about like each episode looked like it was a, basically about a different historical sports figure or something like here's an episode on Babe Ruth and here's one on Hank Aaron or something like that you know and then in 1974 he'd actually uh directed a tv documentary called OJ Simpson Juice on the Loose and it's basically just oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's basically just uh from what i could tell just like here's here's uh about uh the about the life of OJ Simpson and a little bit of like his playing career uh yeah i'm sure that could be interesting in and of itself just because George Romero made it right yeah 
I mean, also, this is probably a good time to talk about a little bit, going back to that commercial COD came from with, the, I think it was the Latent Image. I think that was the name of the the uh, production company for the commercials. And then they formed Image 10 mm-hmm. for Make Nine of the Living Dead. But most of those people that made Nine of the Living Dead were people he brought over from the making commercials. Yeah. He had a tight-knit sort of a circle going as far as, like, cinematographers. He did the editing and, you know, directing and producing or whatever as well, but writing and he, yeah, all the circle of friends would go and make other movies. Sometimes, you know, they make some movies for Romero and make some movies with John Russo, but there was this tight Pittsburgh community of filmmakers. They would branch off like even the, the score, like John Harrison that scored say day of the dead. He also directed a movie here, here and there. And then some people that were in, involved with night of the living dead were involved with that movie. So this is a big mini, you know, mini Hollywood system of, Romero horror movie, you know, writers and producers. And most of them were horror movies that came out, even from the other directors and the other people. So that's another thing. Well, maybe something for another spotlight down the road. The the further, <laughs> the further exploit- adventures <laughs> of the Pittsburgh gang. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like Tom we haven't mentioned Tom Savini, but yeah. he comes into the picture because, uh, and I, I don't know. I guess we could. This is a good place to talk about, it, even though we mentioned it maybe in you know in Nine of the Living Dead that he wanted to do the effects for Nine of the Living Dead, but he was in Vietnam. At the time, Romero was making Nine of the Living Dead. Uh, Savini was a combat photographer, so he saw a lot of messed up stuff through the camera lens, and he applied this, you know, this knowledge, if you want to call it that, to his craft when he got out of uh, the military and came back to the States and started doing special effects makeup. Some of the reasons why some of his stuff was so good and effective is because he'd seen the real thing, you know, over the course of those years of Vietnam. So Then he came back, and I know he did... I. I don't know if he did the effects on uh, pretty. I, I don't think he did the effects on Seasons of the Witch. That might be something we'd have to look into. Or the one that you had mentioned after Seasons of the Witch was uh, what was that next one, Josh? Uh, the crazy. After that, the crazies. Yeah, the crazies. I'd have to look that up too because I can't remember if he did the effects on that. But one movie I do know that he did the effects on was Martin, and I'm sure we'll get to that. Yeah, that's about to come up here in just a second. But before we get to that, he did two other things. Uh, one that we just found out about basically last year and just <laughs> just released in 1975, he produced or he directed a, a, a short. I guess, well, it's not really a short film, but it's not necessarily a full feature length movie either. It's it's less than an hour, but it's called The Amusement Park, and he made it for the Lutheran Society, uh, and it was supposed to be a piece about elder abuse, and it was rarely seen until June of last year when like. Uh, they finally got a hold of it and Shutter released it, so it is out there. You can watch it now. But apparently, the subject matter was so disturbing uh, that the Lutheran Society basically, nope, nobody's watching this, and they put it on the shelf for like the last forty something years. So it finally saw the light of day last year, and we were actually going to do that when it came out last summer. Yeah. <laughs> remember, but that's when we kind of shifted gears and we started the Summer of the Wolf. So I never swung back around to watch right. that yet, but. Um, that's one that I definitely want to check out. I've heard it's pretty messed up. I mean, I'm going to check it out, but I don't want to, I don't know if we're going to do it on the show. I don't know if I'll wait until we do it on the show or, or what? (laughs) It might be a while. So I, I, I'm probably just going to go break down and go watch it myself finally, because it might be a while before we get around to it, but I'm sure we will eventually. But the next, so that, that didn't actually see the light of day until last year, but the next thing he worked on was a TV special (laughs) randomly in 1976 he did a TV special called Magic at the Roxy. 
And basically, I think that's what it is. It's like an hour-long TV special on magic, like magicians and stuff. And this was this was noted for being the first television appearance of David Copperfield. So uh, there's a little bit of a, a historical connection between David Copperfield and George Romero randomly there. But that same year, though, was when he wrote and directed a vampire horror movie known as Martin. Yes, and that's you've seen that, right, Josh? I know about it, obviously, but I don't think I've ever actually sit down and watched it. No. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. But that—that's—I'm <laughs> making mental notes of some of the things that I might be, yeah, might be coming up on the professor's choice down the road. So uh, that is, to me, a very uh, well for you know people who are Romero fans that have seen it. It's not underrated, but if you haven't seen it, I think it's a very underrated Romero film. So I'll be really excited when we get to that one on the show. I've seen quite a bit of his work, you know, going down through this, uh, you know, filmography here. But that's just one that just I never got back around to watching for some reason. So I need to check that out. But but then two years later, I guess you could say arguably, although most people probably wouldn't argue, he ended up writing and directing the best film he ever probably produced. And that was in 1978, Dawn of the Dead. Yes. Uh, some people would say arguably the best. I would argue that it is the best because yeah. uh, for me, <laughs> it's no... There's no secret on the show. I've mentioned it numerous times. We've even put out our top 10 or top 13, whatever it was, favorite movies a while back. But Dawn of the Dead is my favorite horror movie of all time, and it's just a personal experience I've had with it that I'll wait to share all that stuff whenever we actually get around to doing Dawn of the Dead on the show. But it is my favorite. And uh, some people would argue that Night of the Living Dead was his best, and he never topped that. But, and I can see that argument, whatever. you know. That's, but for me, it's, yeah, it's Dawn of the Dead all the way. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm the same. Look, I love Night of the Living Dead. It's one of my favorite horror films, but Dawn of the Dead is a better movie. Yeah. And and, yeah, and, so. and really, you can see it, like, what we've talked about so far up to this point and everything that kind of comes after this, to me, that's the pinnacle of his career. You yeah. Know? That's the point where all the, you know, there was a handful of imitations that came out after Night of the Living Dead, you know, zombie, you know, people that took Romero's idea of cannibalistic zombies and kind of ran with it. And there were some really good ones. But after nine, I mean, after Dawn of the Dead, it's just a, a glut of them came out, just boom, from every country, just about from Spain, especially Italy, America, Mexico. I mean, there were zombie movies coming out of everywhere, but every, about every country, and uh, more than you could count on two or three hands. And probably, and and maybe you'd have to kind of contemplate. This might have started uh, his ability to do a lot more things that he did down the road, especially with some of these uh, these little collaborations that he started doing like in years after this that we'll get into with Stephen King and Dario Argento and stuff like that. Those things probably don't come down the road if it weren't for Dawn of the Dead being such a masterpiece. Yeah, because yeah, I think, speaking of Dario Argento, he he had Romero come out to Rome to write Dawn of, the script for Dawn of the Dead in Italy. You know, I don't, I don't know how much, I don't know if he wrote the whole thing there or what, but I know he came out there and wrote some of it. And, uh, you know, Argento had the right to the European market when he released it. That's part of the stipulation. He kind of helped semi-co-produce it, I guess you'd say. Uh -huh. And then, yeah, then Stephen King saw it, and I think he was blown away by it. And, of course, that led to Creepshow down the road. Yeah. It also, you could say, helped define or helped redefine what he had already started with Night of the Living Dead, you know, in Dawn of the Dead. Like, it took that and then just cranked it up, you know, and then refined it even a little bit more. And it's probably even closer to what we know now as like zombie lore, so to speak, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That uh, just the, the 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 level of gore in that movie is just extraordinary, and the fact that he stuck his guns. And we've talked about this in the 
ratings, the MPAA ratings episode, I believe. But the fact that he stuck to his guns and said, no, I'm not going to release an R-rated version. I don't, I'm going to release it unrated because this is the way it's supposed to be. And I don't care who runs ads for it or doesn't run ads for it or who, what theaters take it or don't take it. But he did it. You know, for better or worse, because he could have probably raked in way more money if he had caved in and got an R rating and you know released it in more theaters and then maybe put it out unrated. But he was adamant about not doing that. So I can definitely commend him for sticking by his guns for that. Same with uh, Day of the Dead. When he put out Day of the Dead, he refused to put out an R-rated version of it, too. And he and we should point out, like, because I don't know if we really pointed this out much in the in the not not a Living Dead episode. Like, he really was one of those mavericks, so to speak. And like, he worked outside of Hollywood. He worked outside of the studio system. Yeah, there were some that he did later on. What like Monkey Shine stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That were you know. Yeah, dark. Yeah, Stephen yeah, yeah, but but for the most part, he worked he worked outside of the of the system, so to speak, right? Yeah, he 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 didn't have any love for it, I guess. Because I mean, he like he eventually he did, like you said, we talked about the creep show was kind of pretty yeah. much kind of in there. I mean, it was it was Romero's baby, you know. It's like it was you could definitely tell that Hollywood or the producers didn't have their hand in it. It was Romero and Stephen King that yeah. put that movie together. But when he got to doing like the dark half. And Monkey Shines, you could definitely tell that was a studio picture yeah. with Romero's touch. But you could tell who was pulling the strings, so to speak. You know. Frankly, Cre- Creepshow was probably his first foray into like mainstream-type stuff, right? I mean, because everything that we've talked about up to this point was just independent type of, you know, small-budget type of stuff, even Dawn of the Dead. It probably wasn't until Creepshow where he actually got probably somewhat of a budget and quote-unquote mainstream yeah, yeah. appeal, right? Yeah. Yeah, that one. And, and the actors, you know, you had like... Uh, yeah, that too. Yeah, T- uh, Ted Danson and uh, Leslie Ted Nielsen, Nielsen, and Adrian Barbeau. Adrian uh, Barbeau, uh, yeah, a number big, of others in that. Yeah, um, but in between, you know, we just mentioned Creep Show. That was in 1982. But in 1981, in between, he did an action drama which he wrote and directed called Night Riders. Now, this is another one that I haven't seen. Oh man, that's a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mental note: actually, we this won't be part of the. Uh, Part of our choices because this is not be, a horror movie. I'd say that'd be more cold corner. <laughs> all, I, all you need to know is the, the uh, synopsis or the uh, description of that movie is basically like uh, uh, medieval night reenactors on motorcycles, right? <laughs> yes. And Tom Savini plays an awesome role. He yeah. an awesome role in that movie. Now, oh, we didn't mention this, but Savini started guest cameo. And, I mean, for Savini, acting was his main thing. He just... He did the effects thing because, you know, Vietnam, and he got out and he was a fan of Lon Chaney and he wanted to do mesh makeup, but his big dream was to be an actor. So he started acting in some of Romero's movies, like he was in a small role in Dawn of the Dead as part of the biker gang that comes in at the end, you know? Yeah. And uh, a few other roles in the movies. But in Knight Rider, he had a bigger bigger of a role, and it's pretty damn hilarious. Now. Yeah, and that, one actually, I mean, you know, and that one actually has Ed Harris, um, Ed Harris in it as well. He's the star, and then uh, Ken Faree is in that one. So, some yeah. people, some people that he obviously worked with, like you know, Kim Faree was in uh, Dawn of the Dead the, uh, a couple years before that, a few years before that, and then remember Ed Harris showed up in Creepshow again, you know, a year yeah. after that. So a lot of connections there, and, and from before and after Night Riders. Uh, but like we mentioned in 1982, yeah. he did Creepshow, which was a horror anthology film that was uh, he directed and then Stephen King wrote. So. Uh, we actually did that one all the way back in episode 17. So if you want to go revisit what we had to say about that one, uh, one of my personal favorites. Uh, it was a good episode that we did, but that movie is one of my personal favorites. 
it don't it doesn't necessarily make like my top ten list or anything like that. But anytime Creep shows on, I'm sitting down and watching it. It's one of those kind of movies for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I've always loved that movie. And how can you go wrong with fucking yep. George Romero and Stephen King oh, yeah. collaborating? What the fuck, man? That's awesome. Yeah, and off the wall kind of like Leslie Nielsen's. It's yeah. awesome in it and Ted Danson. Ted Danson. Yeah, yeah. they're they're in the you know that's an awesome segment. Yeah. Just the whole thing. You just put and, and it's put together like in a fifties yeah. fifties uh uh comic book style, like just everything about it, man. Just Romero and um, King nailed yeah. it. Yeah. It's intermission time. Time to pause and refresh at the snack bar. During this short break, you can treat your taste of good food and sparkling cold beverages, including delicious Coca-Cola. If you're hot dog hungry, we have them. Sizzling, juicy hot dogs served in warm, oven-fresh buns, plus a complete menu of all your favorites. Visit the Refreshment Center now. Enjoy delicious food and ice-cold Coca-Cola. But around this time, like a, a couple years after that, but before his next feature film, he uh, was the executive producer and creator of Tales from the Dark Side, a horror anthology series. And he actually wrote like two screenplays and two episodes. So it was basically four episodes he actually wrote for Tales, of the, Tales from the Dark Side. But that's basically what he worked on for the most part during that time period, other than making a couple more feature films around that time. So any thoughts on Tales from the Dark Side? Yeah, I remember. I, I love the show. I love the opening. The opening was oh, always yeah, creepy dude. to music. Come yeah, on. <laughs> yeah, like like I look, I was born in 1980, so like when this came out, I'm like four or so. But like I remember my dad watching it when I'm like five, six, seven, eight years old, and being just creeped the fuck out by the opening. You know, yeah, when I was a little kid. The opening, yeah, and the narration. Yeah, so, but yeah. I love it. I, I've uh, got I've got the whole series on DVD, man. I love that's like one of my personal yeah. favorite anthology yeah. series. It was great, and yeah. uh, some per, on some uh, some episodes of merit to mention is uh, again with the Tom Savini connection. Remember the one with Lizzie, the closet monster, little, yeah. little yeah. Yeah. monster kid or whatever was in the closet? Mm-hmm. He directed that episode, too. And, of course, did the, uh, he created the Lizzie, process, or the Lizzie puppet, Muppet. Not Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> Muppet. No. Don't say that. Uh, 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 the ghost of uh, uh, Jim Henson will come kill you or something. Uh, and uh, also the, uh, I think, I wonder, was there a Christmas episode of that? I know there was a Halloween episode. Yeah, I want to uh, say there was one. I could be wrong, but I want to say it was kind of like that, that same kind of episode with the uh, the killer Santa Claus kind of thing. But maybe I might be confusing that with Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. But I think there was I related there was. thing in there. But yeah. I, I, I have to pull it out. I got the whole set, but I haven't watched it. I, I mean, I probably saw every episode back in the day, yeah. but I haven't watched it from beginning to end on that DVD set. And I need to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I I'm I think I like I started watching that DVD set a while back and I haven't finished it, but I'm pretty sure when I sat down and watched it, I got through like almost through season two on that, so I need to get back to watching it. But yeah, I just I've always been a huge fan of Tales from the Dark Side. Other than Tales from the Crypt, I think that was my favorite anthology series from that time period where there were a number of them. Yeah, from that era, I like I guess overall my favorite is probably Twilight Zone, the old school one. But from the era that I grew up in, yeah, in the 80s, <laughs> it would definitely yeah. be. Uh, from, yeah, Tales yeah, from the Crypt. From the, the 80s time. and into the 90s, I think it was Tales from the Dark Side and Tales from the Crypt, in my opinion, were the two best ones, depending on the episodes and all that. Yep. Now, Tales from the Crypt had a better a had a better quality to it because it was on HBO, but still, um, Tales from the yeah, Dark Side, was, considering that it was like, I think it was like a syndicated type of show, right? I believe. I don't think mm-hmm. it aired on one particular yeah. network. 
considering that, I think they really pushed yep. the envelope. And it, there was a ton of like uh, of these anthology things going on, including the Twilight Zone. Uh, what do you call that <laughs> remake? I, think, I don't know. Yeah, the Twilight yeah. Zone, the newer Twilight Zone series from that time period. Re- reboot, however you want to frame uh, it. Yeah, there was also a Outer Limits. Yeah, that was a, uh, you know, there was a reboot. There was a reboot of Gotham, but I can't remember if that was 80s or 90s. But, you know, they were all kind of flowing around that same time period. Friday the, thir- the, one, 80s, Friday the, the 13th 90s, series. You had Freddy's Nightmares. Yeah, yeah there was a t- monster. Yeah, for my money, those two were the Monsters, right? Wasn't that another one during that time period? Yeah, that was fun, too. Yeah. A lot of good, and, a lot of good individual episodes on all these other ones, but, like, like we said, Tales from the Dark Side and then, like, Tales from the Crypt, I think those were the two from that time period that really, like, you know, those still have a lot of uh, rewatch appeal even today. Then in 1985, during this stretch, uh, he wrote and directed uh, his return to zombie horror, Day of the Dead. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, you know, that's weird. If you listen to, I mean, going back years to fairly after, right after Day of the Dead was was released, yeah, there was a lot of horror, zombie fans that, that, that that's their least favorite. Or not just least favorite. There's some that just don't like that movie or whatever. And then there's some that like that's their favorite movie of the trilogy. I believe my wife, that's her favorite movie, The Day of the Dead, hmm. of the three. I love close. It's right there with Dawn of the Dead and everything. Yeah. Ranks it up there near the top. I love it. I mean, Dawn, like I said, Dawn of the Dead is gonna be my favorite because that's my personal first, not first experience because I saw Night of the Living Dead first. But it was, and I probably mentioned this too. Dawn of the Dead is the one that got me into moving me from being a casual horror fan into needing to know. Who directed this? What other movies did they direct? Who did these effects? Who did this music? You know, yeah. It pushed me from being a casual fan into straight horror fandom obsession, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> a gateway drug. Uh, so that would be that. Yeah, the gateway. <laughs> it was yeah. a gateway movie, and that will always be my favorite. Just it's a great movie, but just because of how how much personal, how much it personally tied me into the genre and everything. But Day of the Dead is still way up there for me. I still love. I love that movie, even though he didn't have the budget that he wanted to have for it. He planned and he wrote a script that was much bigger of a budget than what he was able to shoot when he finally got the you know the money for it. And I had to cut a lot of stuff out of it. And some of the stuff actually found its way into Land of the Dead. The uh, I can't remember the name of that that mobile not a tank because it didn't have tread, but it had tires. But you know that zombie killing truck thing they drove in Land of the Dead. Mm-hmm. He had a name for it in the movie. They called it something, but that tank slash military vehicle or whatever. He wanted to have that in Day of the Dead, and also this whole other, you know, part with the uh, military installation and more military-related scenes. Just didn't have the money for it. And then they found that uh, underground bunker, and he decided he could retool the movie and narrow things down and be able to shoot it there and put out a decent flick, which I think he did a great job of doing. I'm sorry. I think the best effects work. Sorry, I just thought of something about uh savini again was that uh of the three zombie movies that's probably the best one for his, his zombie effects and the gore you know the, there's a lot of damn awesome gore set pieces on that movie yeah it's hard to argue that then it was uh two years after that in 1987 he did not direct it but creep show 2 came out and he wrote the uh screenplay uh, for that him and stephen king both collaborated again um, on that, but it had a different director for that one. It was directed by Michael Gornick. It was worth mentioning since that you know that that one is uh, roughly as popular as the first Creep Show, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I mean, I like the first one better, but uh, but this one's still up there again, like kind of like the Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead thing. You know, 
it's still really great and has really great stories to it. And also Michael Gornick, as I mentioned before, how he kind of they kind of went through their circle of filmmaking friends in Pittsburgh. But he was connected to other Romero films. Uh, I want to say maybe he was director of photography on Dawn of the Dead. I could be wrong, or camera operator, or lighting, somewhere in there. He was he was you know back behind the scenes on Dawn of the Dead as well as other Romero films. So still an in-house in family director, even though Romero didn't direct. Then he wraps up the eighties by in uh working on or writing and directing his uh last horror movie of the eighties in nineteen eighty eight, Monkey Shines. Um I, I I know I've seen that movie, but it's been a long time ago, so it's like I barely remember it. I think it's one of those where I'll probably plug it in and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this, this and this. But it's been so long now for me that I don't remember a lot about it. Still remember seeing that one in the theater. That was one of the few. I mean, that because because it was his. Um, not counting Creepshow, I didn't see Creepshow in the theater. I mean, that was 1982. That was still too early for me. If to, I would yeah. have been like nine years old. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that I, not that I wouldn't have gone to see it at nine if my parents yeah. were taking me to see it. I was sure I would yeah. see it in the theater, but <laughs> they weren't going to be taking me to see Creepshow at nine. Yeah. But uh, Times was probably the first Romero film I saw in the theater. Yeah, and I believe. If I recall, I think that was like kind of his official first official like studio film too, Monkey Shines. Um, other yeah, than yeah. you know whatever work he had done with Creepshow, I don't know if that kind of kind of counted. But I think the first one he actually did where the you know he wasn't producing and the the studio had the final say, so to speak, was Monkey Shines. Uh, but then he enters the '90s with a few things right out the gates in 1990. This is probably one of his last really busy periods of his of his career. He he made Two Evil Eyes, which was a collection of like horror tales with Dario Argento. Uh, uh, he wrote and directed the segment, The Facts in the Case of Mr. Voldemort. You got any uh, thoughts on Two Evil Eyes and his segment in it? Yeah, it's uh, of the two segments, my personal favorite is the Argento one. Just and I think that just has to do with the material because uh, Argento's was. Primarily the Black Cat, but I think they kind of wove other other uh, Edgar Allan Poe stories into it, so it wasn't just the Black Cat. And uh, Romero had the case in the fact, or the facts in the case of M. Voldemort or Mr. Voldemort. And I know why he's got that one because that anybody who's seen it, it's you know, it's dealing with a basically a zombie. I mean, he's not a cannibalistic zombie, dude, but he's somebody who you know who is passed on and comes back, so to speak. Yeah. So you can t- you, know, you can tell that. I don't know if necessarily if Romero chose that or if studio chose it for him, but because it dealt with a zombie, you can see you know Romero's fingerprints on it, and uh, I like that story. I like that. I love that movie, and I like that story quite a bit. But my favorite of those two would ha- would be uh, Argento's, and that's just because again, not necessarily having to do with the making of the films or putting together the films, but it just has to do with the original story content. Yeah, uh, that same year. He uh, uh, took part in Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. He wrote the segment Cat from Hell. Uh, it's been so long since I sat down and watched that, I don't recall that right away. And, and I know I've seen it. It's just been a while. I'm trying to think Cat from Hell. <laughs> I remember, you know what I remember about, Dar- is Liz- is not Lizzie, but the uh, the gargoyle thing and the yeah. mummy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are the two I remember the most about that from that movie right now because it's been a little, bit, a little bit since I've seen that one as well. And, and Yeah, the gargoyle mummy segment are very uh, distinct and I can't remember right now. Yeah, oh wait, no. I do remember the cat one. <laughs> there you go. I do remember something, something very much popped into my head about, I, I'm not, you know, I don't know if we're giving away spoiler type things on this, but uh, I, I do remember a cat coming out of <laughs> or going into somebody. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I kind of remember that too now that you say that. I think, I think you're right. 
You know, the ironic twist here on that is for me, I just bought this movie on Blu-ray like a couple weeks ago. So I need to sit down and watch it again, clearly. But then that same year, the last thing, he wrote the screenplay and executive produced for the remake of Night of the Living Dead, which was directed by Tom Savini. Yeah, that one I also saw in the theater. And uh, what I remember about that one is, have you, have you seen it, Josh? No, the I think remake? I mentioned that last week. Like, for whatever reason, I've never sit down and watched this. And I even yeah, own it. I own a copy of it and just fucking never sit down and watch it. I liked it better... When I when I watched it again later, yeah, when I saw it in the theater the first time, and it wasn't because I thought it was a it was, it was a bad movie, it was just that the MP, I, I hated the MPAA. Being a horror fan, I really hated the MPAA during this era because they they gutted horror movies and you know, they wouldn't you know wouldn't let them get away with hardly anything when it came to gore. Yeah, and they had to cut a lot of stuff out of this movie, including uh, gunshot squibs. I mean, you couldn't even. You couldn't even shoot a zombie in the head. I mean, nowadays, they'll let you get away with monsters getting killed and, and all kinds of gore when it comes to killing a monster. But back then, they they wouldn't even let you get, do zombie violence. Like, shooting a zombie in the head and having a blood squib was a big yeah. deal, you know. So that had to be cut was, out. It was just one of those so that, weird time periods at that, you know, with that stuff at that time. Yep. So that, that kind of, like, soured my taste on it for a little bit. I mean, on my first screen, viewing of it in the theater. Yeah. I remember, I remember after that kind of liking it, but I'm like, damn, this is a bloodless, or, you know, it wasn't completely bloodless, but compared to any Romero zombie film that had come out prior to this, which would have just been the original Night, Dawn, and Day, mm-hmm. as well as Return of the Living Dead had come out, you know, Russo and Dan Bannon's movie or whatever. It didn't have any of the gore of any of those movies. Even It had even less gore than the first Night of the Living Dead, which came out in 1968. But wow. again, it was the A gutting it, basically. But in retrospect, uh, you can watch it knowing that you're going into it. Yeah, it, I think it's a, a underrated remake. Uh, this one was just, I, I thought it was funny, so I'll point it out when I found it in, the, in my research. Uh, in 1991, uh, he had a cameo in Silence of the Lambs as uh, one of Hannibal Lecter's jailers. So I figured that around this time period, it, it was just funny to point it out. I don't uh, even know if I remember it. I mean, now that you mentioned that, it seems you know, it kind of strikes something in my memory, but it, if it was, if I if I had heard that before, it had gone out of my mind until uh, yeah, he yeah. just brought it back up. Now I'm going to have to watch it again and look for that part. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's very brief, but yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, but then a couple of years later, in 1993, he, it's the first thing he had directed, like his first feature-length film that he had directed or done anything on since Monkey Shines in 88, uh, The Dark Half in 1993. Uh, and that was a horror thriller, which he directed, wrote, and executive produced, and it was based on a Stephen King novel. Yeah, uh, that was another, yet another victim of the MPAA. And I think probably one of the reasons why Romero decided after that it's like fuck this <laughs> yeah fuck this with studio system crap yeah. oh yeah he didn't have control over that you know? he was pretty much done as far as anything mainstream or anything even remotely resembling a studio production after that that was it because pretty much for the rest of his life he worked outside of it and, and only produced you know only made really a handful more of things including uh that was in 1993 so really didn't do much between that and 1998 he actually produced and directed a, a, an unaired pilot about pro wrestling called Iron City Ass Kickers, which I don't believe ever saw the light of day. Like I said, it was an unaired pilot until last year. Apparently, it was released on like a VHS or something like that. I'm not sure exactly who got this and put it out, but it was released on VHS just in 2021. Uh, I'm guessing it's just that one pilot episode of Iron City Ass Kickers, which it makes sense. 1998, like. Wrestling was in a real big boom period at that time, so I'm sure that had to have something to do with you know him wanting to capitalize on that. 
uh, during the time. But that'd be interesting to check out for sure. Then in the next year, in 1999, I thought this was pretty awesome. He directed a music video for The Misfits called Scream. That was the song. And oh, uh, yeah. the only payment he got for doing this was he wanted The Misfits to appear in his next film, which came out the next year in 2000, called Bruiser. He, uh, his only payment was that he wanted the Misfits to appear in that movie, and then they did two original songs for it. So that's the only thing he got paid for to do a Misfits pretty, music video. I'm sure the Misfits were like, yeah, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, what? Uh, all we got to do is this? Fuck yeah, George Romero. Let's do it. Air <laughs> movie, sure, yeah. And, and uh, obviously they, they played a role in that, and that came out the next year in 2000, Bruiser, and that was another horror movie which he wrote and directed. Now, I've never seen that one. Have you? As you recall? Yeah, that one I I, yeah, and I, I like, I do, I like that one. It's another kind of, you know, it's not a masterpiece. It's not, it's not even a late era Romero masterpiece, but it is definitely worth a few. I've seen it a few times. I've seen it at least twice. I'm not going to say it's like, you know, again, using, throwing the term around. That's underrated, but I mean, it is, it is well worth watching. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And, uh, and like yeah, I said, that was his return. Not going to be your top favorite Romero film or anything, but. And like I said, that was his return to feature films and horror for the first time in seven years. So if nothing else, you know, it's worth kind of seeing his renaissance right there. But it would take him five more years after that until he finally returned to zombie films. Because I remember at some point in between there, he had said, like, yeah, I'm done with zombies. But I guess he wasn't. Uh, <laughs> he eventually came back around well, to it. There's a few things, right, we talked about on maybe some of the other, somewhere else, maybe on the Nine Living Dead episode, that he was in talks to direct the... Uh, Resident Evil movie. Yeah. Yep. And then I don't know something something happened in there. Well, I don't know what exactly, but that fell through. And uh, it might have been something else that he was supposed to because he was attached to zombie to something zombie related a few times. And then either either from his own backing up of it or from the studio or whatever he was unattached of it. <laughs> yeah. There yeah. Were, then it was there were a yeah. number of things during that time period between 2000 2005. Well, late nineties I guess 2005 were like mid to late nineties about a 10-year period there, whatever, that basically there were a lot of, like, he was close to doing things, and then just for one reason or another, just, nah, no, that ain't gonna happen. And Resident Evil was one of them. Uh, there was a film adaptation of the Goosebumps book, Welcome to Dead House, that apparently he was supposed like, to do, and then I guess he couldn't I do it. I knew there was another zombie. Yeah, apparently he couldn't do it the way he wanted to do it, so he's like, well, here's the middle finger, you know, that kind of thing, so... <laughs> Basically, there was a lot of that stuff during that, you know, five to ten year period there. But then, like I said, he returned to zombie horror in Land of the Dead in 2005, which uh, he wrote and directed. And that began kind of a new, kind of a new trilogy somewhat, right? Because I think I've heard or read somewhere that, like, basically Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead, and Land of the Dead are all connected, you know, with some time period in between. Like, that's, I think Land of the Dead is supposedly supposed to be like 20 years later after Night of the Living Dead. But then the next two that he came out with, which ended up being his last two projects, in 2007, Diary of the Dead, which he wrote and directed, and then in 2009, Survival of the Dead, which he also wrote, directed, and executive produced, and that was his final film. They were connected, but not as connected as the other ones, apparently. I think that was going to kind of be... Apparently, like, uh, Survival of the Dead was supposed to be more connected to Diary of the Dead than it ended up being, but then apparently one of the last things that he was going to do was going to be more of a follow-up to Diary of the Dead, but unfortunately, he you know he never made it there because he passed away um, in 2017. But I guess it was just that period of time between Survival of the Dead in 09 to 2017. He just could never really get anything um, 
off the ground, but that one was supposed to be Road of the Dead, and I think that was supposed to be more connected, like I said, to uh, Diary of the Dead than it was necessarily Survival of the Dead. But um, so much so that like, I think like he had just like uh, literally like three or four days before he died, he had released a, a poster for Road of the Dead and like was talking about like you know where he was going to go with it story-wise and everything, and then literally July 16, 2017, which was like three days later, he passed away following a brief but aggressive battle with lung cancer. That was according to a statement by his longtime producing partner, Peter Grunwald. And uh, the last little bit that I found there was Romero died while listening to the score of one of his favorite films, The Quiet Man, with his wife, uh, which was his third wife, Suzanne Desrocher uh, Romero, and his daughter from his second marriage, Tina Romero, right aside when he passed so uh, unfortunately you know somewhat of an untimely end there for george romero but like we said off the top that to me it just kind of came out of nowhere like i don't remember hearing anything about him being sick and all of a sudden oh yeah he's dead what you know <laughs> at least that's what i recall of it at the time yeah i i know like anytime you ever saw an interview with romero or seen him behind the scenes he was he was smoking like his yeah. i think he was like a chain like one after another light off <laughs> yeah Change, I mean, like, literally any time he was doing an interview, you yeah. know, he had a cigarette. And unfortunately, that cut that cut uh, short the li uh, life of a horror icon and, and one of the greatest directors of our lifetimes, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, what more can you say, really? I mean, we went through it. He did he did write a few books, too. I'll just mention uh, a few from his bi uh, bibliography there. Uh, he wrote Dawn of the Dead with Susan Sparrow, and that was a movie tie-in in 1979. Um, another movie tie-in in 1984, Martin with Susan Sparrow. Uh, then he wrote uh, a couple of comic books, Toe Tags, which was a six-issue miniseries for DC Comics back in uh, from 04 to 05, and then Empire of the Dead, which was a uh, I think a couple of tied uh, tied together series that you know tied into his of the Dead universe. That was for Marvel Comics in 2014 to 15. Then uh, around the time of his death, Knights of the Living Dead, which was co-edited by uh, Jonathan Mayberry and, uh, and George Romero. And then uh, just a couple years ago, The Living Dead with Daniel Krause uh, was released. But yeah, I mean, what more can you say about the man's legacy of, of just being a horror icon and one of the most influential horror directors, writers, producers of all time, right? Oh yeah, definitely. And I, and I, I love the, uh, I love that he did it in his home, in his, you know, well, not maybe not necessarily his hometown. I know he was born in New York, but I mean, relocated to Pittsburgh. And he did everything right out of Pittsburgh up until maybe Land of the Dead. You know, back you remember there was that time when Land of the Dead came out, the how Toronto a lot of people were getting cut financial cuts by going to Toronto and shooting yeah. in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I think that he had maybe relocated to Canada while the time at the time he was yeah, doing he, he that did. set of movies. Yeah, I think by the time he got up to that, yeah, he was in Toronto. But those other ones, I I have this thing. I love regional horror movies. Like I love I love seeing rural horror movie, you know, movie shot and whatever just happens to be this area over here. And a lot of times they're low budget, super low budget, like Night of the Living Dead. And most of the time they're not anywhere near as good as Night of the Living Dead. But you can see a lot of heart and effort and heart and soul or whatever, blood, sweat, and tears go into these movies. And I love these, seeing these different regions, especially if it's somebody making multiple movies over the course of time in that area, such as, uh, uh, what's his name up in uh, Earl Owensby in North Carolina? Yeah, as he was doing up there, you know, in the Charlotte slash all that area right there. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of that mid area, in, in, like in the Piedmont between like uh, Charlotte and the Foothills kind of area where he was doing a lot of that stuff. But yeah, another local yeah. guy. There's such, you said that kind of that level of 
dedication and love for the genre that you don't care about moving to Hollywood to, to where you probably could. Romero probably could have jumped into Hollywood right after Nine of the Living Dead. He probably could have relocated there and made himself millions and millions and millions of dollars in Hollywood if he had just, you know, yeah. just on the clout of Nine of the Living Dead, being the director of that movie. Yeah, even by but, the time you know, by didn't. the time he got up before uh, to Dawn of the Dead, he definitely could have for sure by then. Oh yeah, you know. But like you said, he he stuck to yeah. it. You know, you, you got give him credit there, no doubt. But yeah, there's like I said, you know, there's no denying his his uh, his influence, his legacy, and uh, you know, of course, on our show, Romero will live forever, and uh, and on, on a lot of other horror podcasts, and you know, if you call yourself a, a fan of horror, you you are a fan of George A. Romero, so. Um, unfortunately he's no longer with us. You know, he's been gone for almost five years, but his legacy will live on forever here on the spook show and everywhere, you know, and every film that the dude ever made. So, uh, hats off to his career. And, uh, it was cool to be able to take this time to sit down and talk about just him and his career and everything. And, and the other thing that we found here is there's a lot of movies that we need to get to. <laughs> we've only, yeah, we've only oh, yeah. scratched the surface <laughs> with George Romero with creep show and, uh, night of the living dead. And we got lots and lots to come. So, I look forward to that, and I'm sure you should too. So more things to come up, you know, to look forward to in, uh, here in the month of April is next week uh, you get my choice, my, my turn of the rotation, and we're going to be watching Deathgasm from 2015. So I, I, I hesitate to say there's anything Romero-esque here other than just uh, craziness. I'd say, I'd say to me this movie reminds me more of something Sam Raimi would have made, but I'm sure the influences are there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Hell, yeah, and Raimi himself was influenced by Romero. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I think anyone that has anything to do with horror since Night of the Living Dead has been influenced by George Romero. It, it kind of yeah. goes without saying, really. Um, but that's going to be next week. The more extreme field. <laughs> yeah. But that's going to be next week. We're going to get to Deathgasm in episode 103. But then in episode 104 is going to be our first cannon fodder episode where that series, that little sub-series that we'll weave in and out of, it's a new part of the rotation. Is basically where we... We choose one random Canon Films movie from their vast catalog. Um, and literally, we just did it a couple weeks ago on Deadline Horror News. We spun the wheel of we all chose a movie, and the one that came out on top was over the top. So look forward to that on episode 104, the Stallone Canon Films classic. <laughs> you, you really stopped short of saying classic, but I guess at this point, why not, right? Uh, That's right. It's a, oil up those biceps. Yeah. Get ready. <laughs> how how often can you say you're going to watch a movie about a dude arm wrestling for the custody of his kid <laughs> and a big rig? So uh, <laughs> only only at Canon, man, would this fucking thing have been made, and and thank God it did. <laughs> All I can say is, uh, and we'll say this a lot, thank God for Golan and Globus, right? <laughs> because we yeah, they gave some classic. Oh, and yeah. I, I say that classic, like actual. Now, I mean, they gave us some fucking stinkers. Yeah, Look a at lot. the apple. But, yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> but they gave us modified, classic, 80s. Yeah. Just, I'm looking I don't for... know, just something about them that you can't, like, you can't re replicate these days. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to our journey through the Canon catalogs and Canon fodder. That's going to be something we, you know, weave in and out, but I'm looking forward to it because there's going to be a lot of fun movies that we can do there with that. So we're going to okay. start We're gonna start it off in a big way with the Stallone Canon flick over the top. So... Come back in a couple of weeks for that. But I guess that's all for now. Like we like we always say, uh, uh, head over to our YouTube channel every Wednesday night live at 9 p.m. East for Deadline Horror News. All the cool stuff we got going on over at patreon.com slash AA Spook Show. Uh, you don't want to miss a thing. Lots of cool stuff. 
and uh, and our involvement with the morbidly beautiful podcasting network you don't want to you want to go check out their website and uh, all the cool things they got going on there with other i, I guess our broadcast partners now on, on the podcast network so you, you want to go check that out so i guess that's pretty much it for this week so for uh Will and Donnie, who couldn't be with us, and the Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show Horror Podcast, and we will talk to you next week for Deathgasm. And in the immortal words of uh, George Romero, stay scared. Please replace the speaker on its rack when you're ready to leave. Failure to do so will damage both the speaker and your car. We'll be grateful, and so will the patrons who follow you.